0: we're talking about rightly dividing the word of truth and one of the things, the divisions we see is different baptisms in the Bible the seven different baptisms we're on number five still the baptism by the Holy Ghost into Christ so um, the Bible talks about uh, the doctrine of baptisms in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2 there's baptisms, there's many of them um, seven particularly, and so we've talked about four of them, we're talking about five of them, the fifth one now, the baptism by the Holy Ghost into Christ, and it's, uh, it's the most important one, it's the one that affects our eternity, um, because it's us being put into Christ, if that doesn't happen, we don't have anything, we're, we're not going to make it uh, to heaven on our own, we're not going to atone for our sins on our own. Uh, we're not going to be able to, we're going to talk about some other things that it does for us today, Um, but it's all possible because of Christ. Um, And how do we get into Christ? Well, you you and I, if you've trusted uh, Christ as your Savior, you and I have been baptized, placed into, immersed into Christ. Um, And everything that uh, Christ uh, has and has done and uh, his rights and privileges are accredited to us. ...through that baptism. Alright, so really quick recap and then we'll get going here. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13... ...tells us, it defines for us... ...what this baptism is very clearly. For by one spirit are ye all baptized into one body. And we know that that one body is Christ... ...by the preceding verse in 1 Corinthians 12. That is the defining verse for this baptism... ...the baptism by the Holy Ghost into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27... That baptism connects us with Abraham's seed, which that chapter tells us is Christ. All right, we're not talking about the physical seed, although Christ is in as far as his humanity is the physical seed of Abraham. We're talking about the seed of Christ, Um, and we're gonna. If I, I don't know if we'll have time today to go into it, but I want to show you why why that's important. If at some point, if we get a chance to. Colossians chapter two verse twelve. We see that this baptism credits us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. How? Because you're in him, and because you are in him, everything that happened to him is credited to you and I, if we're saved. It credits us with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what makes possible the imputed righteousness, okay? God has to have a justification for making us righteous, well, if we're put inside of his son and all he can see is his son, that's, there's your righteousness. The righteousness is imputed to us because we're in him. Outside of Christ, there's no benefit. Outside of Christ, I have to rely on my own righteousness, which the Bible says are his filthy rags. And it also uh, makes possible our justification. All right, We can justly have be heirs with Christ. We can justly... Um, be with God now in in his holy heaven. Why? Because sin has been atoned for by Christ, and that is credited to us because we're in Christ. Christ died for sins, for our sins, was buried and rose again, and that is credited to us because we're in him. And anybody who's in him gets those things credited credited to to themselves. So, um, all right, so we're going to pick up the fourth verse today in Romans chapter 6. If you'll turn there, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get started with that. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, just help me now as we teach this. Lord, help me to teach it clearly. And I pray that you'd help us to take admonition and, and, uh, uh, from these passages that we read today to uh, encourage us to live our lives in a way that pleases you and in the victory you want us to live and uh, to open, also open our understanding and, and, uh, of the scriptures and rightly divide them and, and appropriate these baptisms to the uh, correct places they are in scripture and not get caught up um, and and deceived by winds of doctrine people that misapply these things or arrest them to their own destruction lord help me to teach clearly help me to uh, speak uh, accurately and pray you bless these folks for being here today and help them to learn something and grow in their christian life we pray this in jesus name amen all right outline letter d romans 6 let's just start in verse 1 the Bible says this in Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that, we, that are dead to sin? Now, how are you, how are you dead to sin? Because I was in Christ and I was buried with him, okay? How, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, here we go. Verse 3. Know ye not... That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, now stop right there. Again, it, it's very tempting if we're not studying the Bible and, and rightly dividing it to, to, to run that into the water baptism, but what does it say? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, not baptized into water, Okay, so that connects us right back to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We learned that in Colossians chapter 2. All right? We're baptized into his death. Therefore, verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Okay? Not water. Baptism into death. How am I baptized into death? Well... I'm accounted for when Christ died and was buried, I was accounted for the same thing. When Christ bore sins, I was accounted, I didn't bear the sins, but I'm credited with that. I was accounted for that. And when Christ rose from the grave, I am credited with having attained eternal life. It's not me, but because I'm in Christ, I've been credited with that. Okay. So therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now, here's the point of this. So we're talking about the same baptism here. A baptism into Christ credits us with being dead to sin, buried with him, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Okay? All right. This, again, this baptism, it's into Christ, it's into death, and you notice that he also alludes to it in the end of verse 4, that we're also raised with him. That's the same thing we saw in Colossians chapter 2. Well, what's the point of this, though? So, Paul alludes to this baptism by the Spirit into Christ and what it credits us with. It credits us with having died with Christ, buried, and risen again. But what's the point? The context, if you look at verses 1 through 2 and the end of verse 4, the context is whether or not we should continue in sin. All right, so now we're going to bring this down to a little bit more of a practical application. <clears throat> the context is not continue, continuing continuing in sin Paul has just talked about uh, justif- justification by faith, the grace of God um, and then in chapter six he says, what shall we say then all these things that I've said you know we freely get justification we freely have forgiveness of sins what do we say to that Should we continue in sin because we have that? God forbid if you use the grace of christ grace of god to justify your continuing in sin you're wrong okay you can do that if you want but you're wrong the bible talks about turning the grace of our lord into lasciviousness unclean unrighteous behavior you're turning grace the grace that god provided you and turning into something wicked Alright? God says, God forbid. Okay? So, that's not the point of grace. That's not the point of justification by faith to continue in sin. God forbid. How, uh, look at what he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer than? Well, he's going to tell you. Alright? So, what, here's what I want to talk about as far as this particular reference to the baptism by the Spirit into Christ. Uh, num- uh, point number two is that, is that the, says this baptism teaches us that three things. Verse 4, look at the end of verse 4. It says, as as we've been buried by death, we're raised with him, what does it teach us? End of verse 4 says, even so, we should walk in newness of life. It teaches us that we should walk in newness of life. We should be different now Than when we before we had this baptism into Christ. Before you were in Christ, you were a certain way. Jeff testified yesterday at his wedding about the change that Christ made in him. Jeremy testified of the same thing of of Jeff, okay? That should be the same for every believer. Do you look the same as when you were before you were saved? Well, well, Paul says, why? We should be walking in newness of life. And Because we're baptized with Christ into his death, burial, and resurrection, we should be walking in newness of life. It should be different. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All right, so Paul says, Well, we're supposed to continue in sin with grace? No, you've been baptized into Christ, credited with his death, burial, and resurrection, so you should walk in a new way. In newness of life. It should be different. Should. Should. Okay. Verse 6. Here's another should. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. How? Because you're in Christ, and when Christ was nailed to the cross, so was your old man. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with is, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. We talked about that body of sin in Colossians 2, with the... Uh, spiritual circumcision, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So if I've been baptized into Christ, I should walk in newness of life, Then I should not serve sin. Last one, look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The wording is turned around a little bit there, but you, basically what it's saying is you should not obey sin. Don't obey it, don't serve it, and walk in a new way. If you've been, if you've been baptized into Christ, how does that happen? I, I have trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he sees that act of faith in his blood, he puts me into Christ immediately. And I'm credited with all these things. And he says, well, if you were credited with Christ's payment for your sins, his burial and his resurrection, you know what you should do? You should walk in a new way. You should stop serving sin. You should stop obeying sin. But you notice that it says should. That means it's up to us whether we're going to choose to do that. Now, this is actually the the passage that sparked the whole decision to go into the baptisms because this baptism I needed to explain baptisms and the difference between between them before I jumped into this but Lord willing I'd like to develop this chapter 6, chapter 7 and chapter 8 because this is where we live if you're saved you have eternal life and we should walk in newness of life and we should not serve sin and we should not obey sin but how many of us Fail at that on a daily basis. Okay? But don't, and don't just sit there. I get it. We all fail. Don't just sit there and say, well, yeah, I fail at that on a daily basis. Why? He says you should not. We don't have to. We don't have to fail at this. And that's the point of chapters 6, 7, and 8. You don't have to continue in sin. All right? Look at uh, the point 3 says, this baptism enables us. To have victory over sin. You know, I understand, you know, and I I agree with it. the the song. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is true, but I'm not supposed to continue in that sin. Okay? If you want to just sit in that and and be comfortable with, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and I sin every day, but God saved me, you are missing the boat. You're missing the point of the Christian life. Yes, are we going to fall... Yeah. Can we have victory over sin? Yes. Okay, it, it's not... We, if, if all Christ did for you was to give you a divine fire escape but you're left in your sin, what did he do for you? We have an enabling by being put into Christ to have victory over sin. Look at verse 14 of the same chapter. For sin shall not have dominion over you. But that's your choice and my choice whether or not to avail ourselves of what we have in Christ. Now, I'm not going to teach this whole thing now because that would be another six weeks of lessons. Uh, Lord willing, if Pastor Sean allows, I will teach Romans 6, 7, and 8 and how the scriptures tell us we can have victory in our life. But it starts with knowing and understanding this baptism. I was put into Christ and my sins were atoned for. Credited to, credited to me was the atonement for sin because I'm in the one who atoned for sin. Credited to me was eternal life because I'm in the one who is eternal life. Credited to me is a new way of living because I'm in the one who rose from the dead and uh, never to die again I have that, I have that um, ability to do that. But do I avail myself of that? Do I avail myself of that? So, the Bible says, sin shall not have dominion over you. And that's what chapters 6, 7, and 8 deal with. Um, What Christ has done for us, and you're in Christ now, what do we have through that? The struggle, chapter 7 deals with the struggle that we have with the two natures, which we saw in Colossians 2, the body of sins of the flesh was separated from the soul and the spirit, and now we have two natures warring in ourselves, that's chapter 7 of Romans, And then how do I get the victory is Romans chapter 8. All right? But the whole thing hinges on us being in Christ. And how do you get in Christ? You're baptized into Christ. You're put into Christ when you trust Christ as your Savior. Okay? So that's Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. That baptism tells us we can have victory over sin and gives us an enabling to do that same thing. Okay? All right. Any questions on that? Yes, sir. Look at, the, look at the wording in chapter in verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It doesn't say you'll never sin. What has dominion in your life? The word of God, Christ in you, or sin? What's ruling your life, sin or Christ? So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. We're going to sin, and we need to go to God and confess it and repent of it and turn away from it, but the enabling to do that and not let it have dominion over me is through what, we, what these three chapters talk about, and it starts with being in Christ, because now I have, as a lost person, I have no ability to have victory over sin. You're going to give into the, the lust of the flesh or what you do naturally, the natural man just does what the flesh wants, and he has no ability to have victory over sin. Now the difference is we have that ability. Do we sin? Yes. Should I be okay with that? No. And should I let it have dominion over me? No. So... Christ wants us to walk in victory, not in defeat. Alright? And to say that, well, I'm just a sinner and I'm just going to sin all the time is, is, is to miss the point. Yes, I'm going to sin. But do I let it have a dominion over me? Okay? Do I continue in it? Should we continue in sin? You know, I get it. I, I, know, I know what you're saying. I, it's a might maybe a fine line of discrimination there, but it's, your, it's our attitude toward it. Is my attitude, well, I'm just going to sin, so I'll just, whatever. Or is my attitude, God can give me victory over this thing? And he can. So, all right. Any other questions about that? All right. These last two, ver- oh, go ahead, go ahead, brother. go ahead. I, I think I was just going to make a quick comment like what Jeff was saying, and something that I'm battling with. But it's a matter of an awareness that there's a spiritual battle. Yes. That's why I really want to get into these chapters, but we got to wait until we finish this lesson, so because it tells us how to control that, how to, how to get victory over that. So, yeah, <laughs> all right. And you know, I understand, we're in the flesh, and we fight daily, but. Um, Another comment. Yeah. Uh, Benson used to say, in doubt, don't. Yeah, when in doubt, don't. Yeah, that's good. There's a lot of good things. They'll, they'll be, the, the, if I get a chance to go through Romans 6, 7, and 8, there'll be a lot more. We're dealing with a lot of doctrinal stuff right now, deep doctrinal stuff. This will be a lot more practical. It will be a lot more practical once we get into that. So, Lord willing, we can do that. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. All right, so the next two passages I'm going to deal with that I believe talk about this baptism. I understand there's some differences of viewpoints on these passages. I get that. Um, I'm going to show you what I believe the Scriptures point to in this, and you decide for yourself what, what the Scriptures are saying. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape if you disagree with me, but I believe I believe that I'm correct with this. So, um, and if you see otherwise, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> um, but I do I do wanted to bring these two passages out because I do believe they speak about this baptism. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter four. <clears throat> let's look at starting at verse one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so that's our context right now, the uni- keeping the unity of the Spirit. That's the context. And now look what he goes into. Actually, can I get four volunteers to read passages? Uh, Tim, can you get 1 Corinthians 15, 39, 40? Jeff, 1 John 4, verse 1, Pastor Shot, 1 Corinthians 8, 5. One more. Someone give me it. Mark, uh, Hebrews 6, 2. Okay. <clears throat> All right. While those guys are getting those passages. Context is keeping the unity of the spirit. Well, what, where does it, what does this unity look like? Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay. First of all, I want to kind of deal with um, this concept. There's one body, one spirit. Okay. Okay. Um just I'm wanna is there only one body? Brother, read first Corinthians fifteen, thirty-nine and forty. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Okay. Not the same and there uh did I, did I give you the right the right one? I think there's a if they can continue there. So it talks about bodies Did I give you the wrong references. Okay, just did I miss it. I was turning my phone. Yep, there you go. Yeah, 40. 40. There are also celestial bodies bodies and The glory of the is Okay. All right, that's the one that's the one I was looking for there. Um, okay. So Ephesians four 44 says there's one body and yet 1 Corinthians Fifteen forty says there's many bodies. Hang on to that thought. All right, uh, it says in Ephesians four four there's one spirit. Who's got First John four one? Read it out, please. Nice and loud. All right. So Ephesians four four tells me there's one spirit, and yet First John four one says there's many spirits, and I got to try them. You've got to test them out. Uh, Look at uh, verse 5 of Ephesians 4. There's one Lord. If you look later on, um, verse 6, there's one God. 1 Corinthians 8, 5. Okay, so that passage tells me there's many gods and many lords. And the last one is where our context is, uh, verse 5 says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hebrews 6, 2. Of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. All right, so that, that passage is what we started this whole study with, the doctrine of baptisms, it's plural. There's more than one baptism. So what's this thing, t- what is there, a contradiction in the Bible? No, there's no contradictions in the Bible. How do we resolve this? How do we resolve this? Well, the Bible says there's only one body, but it says there's many bodies. Well, the Bible says there's one spirit, but also says there's many spirits. The Bible says there's one Lord and one God, but there's God's many and Lord's many. The Bible says there's only one baptism, but we're, we're on the fifth baptism we've studied in the Bible. What is he talking about? Well, what's he talking about with this one thing first? In Christ, There you go. In Christ. Here's... here's, here's Uh, point number three these are things that for the believer in christ there is only one of as far as the believer's position there's only one there is only one body when it comes to what the believer's concerned with is it's the body of christ yes there's many bodies there's a physical body there's spiritual bodies there's celestial bodies There's terrestrial bodies but when we come talk about the believer and his position, there's only one, there's only one body that matters, and it's Christ, it's the body of Christ that you're put in, you're baptized into, okay, Um, one spirit, there's lots of spirits in the world, Christ cast out evil spirits, there's spirits we need to try to see whether they're of God, what about for the believer though, what spirit is he concerned with, what spirit is he attached to, what spirit is he baptized by, it's the spirit of God, that's the only one that really matters, Spirit of God, that is what is common to the believer, okay? There's one Lord and one God. Well, there's lots of Lords all, of all different varieties and, and, and um, uh, importances, you know, all the way down from, you know, Sarah called Abraham Lord to there's Lords of Nations and there's God the Father, there's the Lord. Well, which Lord are we concerned with? Which God are we concerned with? The one true God who gave us, the baptism by the spirit of God and put us into the Lord, Jesus Christ. There's really only one Lord and one God, okay? Now, so here's the thing. These are things that for the believer, there's only one. Yes, there's many spirits, but the believer has one spirit he's attached to that dwells in him, and it's the spirit of God. The believer is one body that he's baptized into, and that's Jesus Christ, all right? And there's one baptism. Now, if these are things that concern the believer... These are things that are, now follow me here, as far as I can tell, according to this passage, these are things that are common to every believer. Every believer has the Spirit of God, no? Okay, don't, don't die on me now. Does every believer have the Spirit of God? Does every believer, Is every believer in the body of Christ? Does every believer have the Lord Jesus Christ and God as their father? Does every believer have, are they in that one faith? Yes. What baptism does every believer have? Being baptized into Christ. I know people who are saved that never got water baptized. So, as far as I can tell, that can't be water baptism. It's got to be the baptism into Christ. There's one baptism that is common to all of us that are saved, and it's the baptism into Christ. See that? Do we see that? Okay. All right. I know, I know it's taught different ways, and that's fine. But I, to me, I see these things as all, these are all common to a Christian. There's one body that they're in. There's one spirit that they're possessed by. There's one calling. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. And there's one baptism that everybody has, and it's the baptism into Christ. All right? So that's why I believe that baptism refers to the baptism by the spirit into Christ. All right. Last one. This is the weird one. And I will tell you right now, I, for years, would refer to this passage as um, Believer's Baptism, and then when I started studying this lesson, out, I was like, I was looking at it again, I was like, hmm, I don't think so. First Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to jump right into the verse that talks about it. Again, if you you look at it differently and you have a biblical reason to do so, that's fine. I'm not going to sit here and divide a church over it, okay? I'm just just showing you what the Lord showed me and um, what I see in Scripture, okay? 1 Peter 3, 21 the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Parentheses, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, what baptism is that? And that's a good question because it doesn't really strictly clarify it. Um, but I want you to notice something that it says. It says the like figure. What's the figure? What's a figure of this baptism? It's verse 20. Uh, starting verse 19 for context, by which also he went and preached... Uh, no, 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 verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when... Well, when, 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 when was this? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing... Wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Huh? Well, what's the figure? What's the figure he's referring to? First of all, let's talk about that. What's the figure? What? The ark in verse 20. It's the ark. The figure is the ark. He says the ark is a figure of this baptism, okay? So the ark is a figure of this baptism. And what does he say about the ark? Look at this. Look at this word he puts in there. <clears throat> uh, Long suffering God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein, wherein few—that is, eight souls—were saved by water. Wherein, in other words, in that ark, in that ark, there was a few souls saved. And then he goes right into it and says, the like figure. "...whereunto even baptism does also not save us." So the ark is a figure of a baptism that saves us. How is that? Well, what, what, what's going on in the ark? You had someone put inside of something that saved them. Now, here's the thing that really clinched it for me. Remember what we talked about at the very beginning of this lesson? We said, how do I identify this baptism? If it's a little bit obscure and it's not clearly stated... Look and see, does this baptism credit us with something? Or are we accounted as having done something that we didn't do, but are we accounted for something by this baptism? Look at what this verse says. Now, I'm going to leave out the parenthetical statement because, um, and I'm not trying to change the word of God here, but to keep the flow of the statement, look at it. Verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is the resurrection stuck in here? I am accounted for having, having been, what does Colossians 2 say, what did Romans chapter 6 say, having been risen with him by this baptism. When I was baptized into the Christ, I was accounted for his death, I was accounted as having been buried, and I was accounted as having been risen again with him, so this baptism saves me, how? By Christ's resurrection. Now look at it. Look at the figure. What does he say? So how were, the, how were these people that were baptized saved? By the resurrection of Christ. All right? And which baptism credits us with the resurrection of Christ? It's the baptism that puts us into Christ. Now, here, here's, here it is. Verse uh, number three here. Like as Noah and his family were placed in an ark and were saved from the judgment of God... So we were also placed in Jesus Christ by the baptism of the Spirit and saved from the judgment of God by his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see it? Do you see this baptism? It's not, as far as I can tell, it is not water baptism. It is a baptism that saves us, and the figure of it is the ark, where people were placed inside of something and saved from the judgment of God. Do you see it? Okay? Am I, did I lose everybody? <laughs> I was like, I thought this was water baptism my whole life. Well, okay, so did I. Um, all right, so that's, that's, I believe that he purposely puts in that figure of the ark to show us which baptism this is, and it's a baptism that saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, that resurrection is the completing work. Now, I'm accounted to having, been, having paid for my sins because I was in Christ who paid for my sins. And I was buried, and the old man is buried, but if I, that's all that happened, it's not complete yet. I'm also raised with him, and I'm saved eternally. I'm justified by his resurrection. I have eternal life because of that resurrection. And I have that because I was in him. Did I lose anybody on that one? Is that, are we good with that? Are we good with that? Some questions? Uh, okay. All right. Now let, me, let me talk about this parenthesis, and then I've got to stop. All right. The parentheses. Um, Says this: we're, we're the baptism does also now save us. Parentheses. Every time God puts a parenthesis in the Bible, He's giving you a special notation that He wants you to understand something. Okay. This baptism, what does He say? Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. All right. So here's something: This baptism has not done for us yet. It has not eradicated the sins of our flesh. That is what we saw in Colossians two the body of sins was separated from the soul and the spirit. My flesh has not yet been redeemed. So this baptism didn't change my flesh yet. It didn't wash away the sins of my flesh yet. What it redeemed was my spirit and my soul. So it doesn't give me a cleansing of my my flesh yet. And that's what the whole thing with Romans 6, 7, and 8 talks about. I got two parts in me still. I still got a body. Paul says, I know that is in me that is, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And yet I have another uh, part of me that's warring against the, the law of my mind, you know, bringing me into captivity, and I'm struggling with these two things. Um, so my flesh has not yet been redeemed. It has, the, this baptism hasn't put away the sins of my flesh, but what has it done? It's given me the answer of a good conscience towards God. Well, how do I have a good conscience towards God? Uh, Jeff alluded to it. I still sin in the flesh, but how do I have a good conscience toward God? Okay. I'm going to try to do this in three minutes, all right? Look at 1 John, chapter 3. And hopefully, this is a little bit of a a stumbling block for some people, and sometimes they don't know exactly how to reconcile this verse. And I hope that understanding this baptism will help us reconcile this verse. Remember, Colossians 2 talks about you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That is in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. Do you still have your body attached to you? Okay, we do. We all do. We're all here. I can see you. All right. What's the difference? God separated between the body of sins of the flesh and the soul and spirit. And he says, you know, in Colossians 2, he says, buried with him in baptism, where also we were raised with him through the faith of the operation of God. So the, the, the baptism into Christ is connected with that spiritual circumcision that separates my body of sins from my soul and my spirit, which are redeemed. All right, I hope that's not too deep, but follow me here. All right, 1 John 3. Look at this verse. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God. Who's been born again in here? I've been born again. The Bible says ye must. Ye must be born again. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Oh boy, what do I do with that? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Look at this next wording. For his seed. Remember what Galatians 3 taught us about the baptism? It, puts us, it connects us with the seed of Abraham, which is who? Christ. Why does the person who is born of God not commit sin? For his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. And this throws everybody into a tizzy and starts people teaching sinless perfection because they don't understand what this is talking about. My body of sins has been separated from my spirit and my soul. Christ has been placed in me and I in turn have been placed into Christ. I have the seed of Christ in me. What part of me can't sin? The new man that's been redeemed in me, the spirit and soul, what's still separate from that? The body of sins. Not yet redeemed. So, this baptism doesn't take care of the body of sins yet, but it gives me a good conscience towards God because I know that in my spirit and in my soul, I cannot sin. In God's sight, I cannot sin because I'm connected with the seed of Christ who, the who, Bible says, who did no sin. There's no sin in him. And I am credited with that. So um, I hope that's a little bit of an answer if you ever run into that, that verse. And it's like, how do I reconcile this verse? I do sin. Yeah, the flesh does, but not the new man inside of you, okay?